The Old Testament reading for our celebration of the Holy Trinity, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. On your wondrous works I will meditate. The second reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. 
And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. John, the third chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever talked with someone about your faith when they didn't believe the same thing that you did? Did you ever have them resort to that argument of, well, what does it matter since we all believe in the same God anyway? It's a very common refrain today to try to claim that whatever you might believe, you're just believing in the same God in a slightly different form. The world today argues that all Christianity is exactly the same. It's all saying the same thing with maybe a few different words. It argues even that Buddha and Allah and Vishnu and Shiva and Pan and Jesus, they're all the same guy, just with different cultural spins put on them. It's called universalism, and it's a very, very common heresy. And for a while, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It makes us sound like one great big world community. Like, you know, we can all get along and we don't have to worry about that pesky little notion of hell because if it's all just one God with different names, then everybody's right, everybody's saved, everybody's one big heaven-bound happy family. The problem is it doesn't work that way. It's a lie. You know, try to apply that same logic to anybody else. The next time that you have to give a report or have a discussion with someone on Abraham Lincoln, see if it works with him. 
You know, talk about how Lincoln grew up in a log cabin only to become the first president of the United States of America. How he discovered electricity and then he abolished slavery. How he spent a few years on the professional beach volleyball circuit before becoming a vampire hunter. And how he invented the automobile in order to found NASCAR. What? That's the Lincoln I want to believe in. And we're talking about the same guy, right? So what does it matter? Just looking at it through a different cultural lens, right? And while it might be kind of funny to disregard history and make up a cooler Abraham Lincoln, when people do the same with God, it's not funny at all. It's damning. When we try to change who God is, when we try to rewrite him and try to make him fit into what we want, it's no longer God who we believe in. We oftentimes try to disregard the things that we don't understand. You know, let's face it, the concept of triune, that's hard to understand. Three distinct persons in one divine being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each God, each unique, and yet the same, and ah, my head hurts now. And so rather than try to figure it out, rather than try to explain it to people or come up with a way that kind of makes sense to us, we oftentimes just write it off. And we say, well, it doesn't matter. That's beyond us. We don't have to worry about things like that. And then we take that even farther. God's wisdom and his law, the things that he does and he says, those don't seem to make much sense either. So we say that that's just a detail too. We don't have to worry about that stuff. If we don't understand why God says we shouldn't do something, why bother not doing it? He says don't covet, but we like to covet, and coveting comes naturally, so we'll just say, yeah, I don't know what God was thinking, so we'll just, psh, we don't need to worry about that. In fact, the very fact that God revealed himself to us through the Bible, well, that seems a little bit exclusive and a little bit far-fetched that this one book in the world would have come to us and be kept perfect throughout generations. And so our sinful mortal minds claim that God probably revealed himself to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways, and he probably, you know, there's some mistakes in the Bible, and we know better, and it looks like it would be better this way, and it would just make a lot more sense, because you know you can't put God in a box. But when God puts himself in a box, you don't get to take him out. You don't get to redefine the box. You don't get to expand the borders and say, I think this is God as well. But that's what we do as sinners. We don't get it, and so we reinvent it. We try to explain it away. We say it doesn't matter. We reinvent the things that we would prefer to be different. Sin is a hard concept, and it hurts people's feelings to tell them that they're wrong. And so we decide that it must be God who's wrong, or the Bible that's wrong. It's certainly not us. We say that He's changed his mind. That he uses culture to determine what he really means. And as our culture changes, God's mind changes too. And he just sits up there in heaven patting the world on the head and saying, good job, whatever it is you're doing. 
We pick and we choose the parts of the Bible that we agree with and that make us feel good. And we say, well, obviously, those are the words of God because that's the good stuff. But the harder stuff, oh, that's just the crusty old residue of an ignorant society who wrote down the parts that we kind of agree with. And so we can just ignore those. We don't have to worry about that. We even redefine basic terms to better fit with what we want. Grace turns into God giving us the strength to do it ourselves, to win salvation by our deeds. Love is telling everyone that they're doing great, they don't have to change a thing, that God loves you just the way you are, and you shouldn't have to work for it at all. Faith and worship, they become this emotional high based on feelings and power cords. And sin, well, that's just what makes you feel bad. So if you stop feeling bad, then there's no such thing as sin. And if you just be more open and accepting, then sin is something you don't have to worry about. We twist and we tweak and we rewrite and we redefine and we edit God's word and all that he tells us about himself and we wind up with a God that is unrecognizable and is completely different and has no semblance whatsoever to the one true and triune God. And while that may seem more open and more friendly and more loving, it's anything but Because salvation is found only in the one true and triune God. God has told us who he is. And if we try to change that, if we try to redefine it, if we try to shift our focus to anything but the truth of who he is, then we are not looking in the right place for salvation. God is triune. Three distinct persons. In one divine being. God the Father, the creator of all things in six literal days. Not evolution, not the earth mother, not billions and billions of years over time. God is not some great nebulous great spirit that you can call by any name and he's going to be cool with it and go, I know what you're talking about. He is our Father. He, yes, He has established all things. He has laid out our rules. All things are in His hands, and we have no authority to second-guess or rewrite His sovereign declarations, even if we don't agree with them, even if we don't understand them. He alone is Father, the Creator. And there is God, the Son, the Redeemer of all things. Jesus Christ, true God in human flesh. Not a part of creation, not some super being, not a really good prophet, but Emmanuel, God with us. God himself incarnate in the meat with us. And he, again, yes, he, was born of Mary into our flesh in order to die on the cross to pay the penalty of sinful man's guilt. And even though he truly died, he truly rose again from the grave. Jesus Christ alone is the Son of God and is God the Son. 
And as the Holy Spirit says through Peter in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not Allah, not Moses, not Moroni, not yourself, not the imaginary choose-your-own-doctrine Jesus that many churches have invented. It is God the Son alone, as he has revealed himself to us by the truth of Scripture. And that name alone saves. And we only believe in that name by the power of God the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier of all things. And he too is fully God. Not just some weird byproduct of the Father and the Son, not some nebulous idea of God's love kind of vaguely covering the world and just being there. He alone works faith in our dead, sinful hearts. He alone can change wretched, rebellious sinners like us into believing children of God. He keeps us in His Word, gives us the desire to live according to that Word. He is the Comforter, the Paraclete, God's true presence in our lives and in the church when we gather together here to receive His eternal gifts. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one divine being, just as the Bible reveals to us and only as the Bible reveals to us. It boggles our human mind. It is something that we cannot fully comprehend. And outside of the Christian faith, as revealed in Scripture, there is no salvation, only eternal condemnation and wrath. And so rather than try to redefine God, rather than try to say that all roads lead to heaven eventually, we rejoice that God has clearly revealed His true self to us so that salvation can be ours. Even though salvation can only be found in the one true and triune God, salvation is for all people as He clearly proclaims His word of forgiveness and mercy and grace to all through the words of Holy Scripture. His word boldly and clearly proclaims who he is. God is not playing theological peekaboo with us, hiding himself, giving us a quick tantalizing peek before he disappears again, trying to make us guess who he is and fill in the blanks correctly. And if you get 85 out of 100 questions right, then you, son, get to go to heaven. No. It's sin that gets in the way of our seeing and understanding the Trinity. God is proclaiming it loud and clear, but too often we are blinded by sin. Too often we focus on that cloud of sin that has engulfed us instead of on focusing on God's brightness. And then we blame God for being exclusive rather than lamenting how sin has blinded us and turned so many hearts away from the one true God who calls to them, who wants them to be with Him forever. God, the true God, clearly reveals His nature and all that we need to know about Him. And He reveals it to all mankind because He loves all mankind. He does not love the sin that we do. He does not accept whatever we do and say, well, I love him, so it must be cool now. No. God reveals himself to all. 
not in a variety of holy books that are completely at odds with one another, but by his word, his holy scripture, which is for all mankind. In the Bible alone do we find the truth of a loving God who died for us so that we could be with him forever. A truth that goes beyond what we could comprehend, beyond anything that other religions have made up. The Bible, it is the truth of God's word. And it is not limited to one culture, one language, one country, one church body. All who hear and believe the full truth of the Bible, God's law and his gospel, all believers are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, are forgiven of all of their sin, and are given that free gift of eternal life with him in paradise. By faith, by Christian faith alone, we can cling to the truth of the triune God, even as the world around us scorns the idea. The scientific community, they mock the idea of a creator. Our culture despises the idea that there is an absolute standard of truth and right. Even churches that claim to be Christian have given up the truth of the Trinity or the truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation in order to seem more accepting. But by faith, even in the face of adversity, faith that we receive from God himself, we can hold fast to what is right and true, and we can share the good news of God, the truth of God, with all others. That faith, it's not something that we do. It's not something that we come up with. It's not something that we bring about, to, about at all. It is instilled by the word of God. As we hear that word, as that word is joined with the waters of baptism, as we are moved by the Holy Spirit and our hearts are rended, torn in two, as we realize that we are poor, miserable sinners and God alone can save us. That faith is strengthened and nourished all throughout our lives as we gather together in his word and in his presence. As we read that word privately with our families, as we pray in our hearts or out loud, wherever we might be, that faith is nurtured right here at this altar as the true body and blood of our Lord, the same one that died for you, the same one that rose again for you, as that is given to us. As we hear that same proclamation that Isaiah heard, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That's the faith that we are given by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the faith that we have to cling to the one true and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The world can't stand it. The world can't stand the idea of only one possible way to heaven. The world can't comprehend the concept of the Trinity, three distinct persons in one divine being. The world invents new gods, twists the word of the one true God, tries anything it can to tear down the truth of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God, the true God, is stronger than the world. God has revealed to us the truth of who he is and what he has done. In that truth of Holy Scripture, and only 
in that truth. We miserable sinners who deserve only hell, we have the absolute promise of salvation, forgiveness, redemption. The one true and triune God has revealed himself to us, has died for us to forgive our sins, has risen again from the grave, and has come to each of us to work faith in our hearts. And though we too are a people of unclean lips, he has touched us, he has made us pure, and he has promised us everlasting life. Not by whatever means we want or whatever means we choose, but by the totally free and undeserved gift of his atoning sacrifice on our behalf. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.